You're listening to the No Farting Around Show. We're all about taking your marketing and business from the toilet to the bank. I'm your host, Ashley Mae Fernandez, and this is the only show where making a disruptive noise smells like success. Each week, I interview high-level disruptors who are making a big stink in their industry by doing things their own way while you listen in and ask a question or two. Talk show, live studio audience style. Expect all things marketing, messaging, money, and mindset, and only strategies that don't include farting and darting or treating your clients like an afterthought. So if you're ready to stop farting around and actually scale your business, let's cut to the cheese and get on with the show. Okay, let's let's start, shall we? Let's start. So, so excited today. I know I say that every single time that I do a podcast episode or a training or a live, I'm always like, I'm so excited because guys, I really am. I'm so excited. And I'm very, very excited to talk about this episode today or the topic of this episode today. And I have to, I have to be honest with you guys. I, you know, I posted in the Facebook group, what next training would you guys want to be? And I just threw two random things out there. And then I was like, I don't even know what three shifts they need to make, but I'm just going to, I'll figure it out if they choose that one. And so it was this morning kind of like, all right, what are the three, what are the three biggest shifts I've made? And what are the three biggest shifts that I've seen a lot of my clients make? So this is going to be somewhat tactical and strategical. So some shifts that you need to do within your strategy but also just some shifts you need to make within yourself and in your mindset and in your beliefs. And you you guys know, I think everything starts with the thought. Funny story. I actually, I, a couple of weeks ago, my cousin was, was visiting us and she is a, is a fitness coach. And she was complaining to me about how she felt like all of her clients would be, you know, really great at first. And then they would just fall off the bandwagon. And she's like, I feel like I'm constantly having to hold their hand. And it was funny because I sat down and I started explaining, you know, the concept of how our brains work. And she just was mind blown. And she's like, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. I can totally see that in everything that I do. I can see that in my clients. I can see it everywhere. Um, So anyways, it was just really funny because she's been texting me since then saying, I see it everywhere. Like I see it everywhere. And it's just funny. It's funny when you, when you become aware of things and how it just shows up everywhere, which is the whole concept, right? Like if you become aware and you have certain thoughts, then those drive feelings and those feelings drive actions. So you start to see it everywhere, right? So yeah, it's, it's, it's quite funny. Okay. Let's get started. I'm very excited. All right. So the first one is going to be, it's going to be a a tactical slash strategical one. And I might even do more than three because I honestly came up with more than three. Um, But this is a really big one that I have seen over and over and over and like I can say over 50 million times. I have seen it over and over again. And it's something that I think the marketplace they just do not do it this way. And I've heard so many mentors of mine. I've heard so many seven figure, eight figure business owners say this. And I want to be like, you're just creating more work for you. You know that, right? Like, yeah, you are, um, you're making money, but you, you, you are complicating the process to make that money and you're making way more work for you. And I kind of mentioned this a little bit on past on past episodes about this concept, but I'm going to talk about it a little bit more today and a little more in depth. So kind of the first shift, I think that 
needs to be made is that when you are targeting your ideal client, not only do you need to market to the pattern and not the problem, you need to market to the problem and not all of the pain. So it is a well-known fact in marketing, right? In they're like, speak to the pain points, speak to the pain points, speak to the pain points. And while I don't think pain points are irrelevant by any means, no, like we, when we have a problem, it's because we feel pain from that problem, right? But what ends up happening is they to market to people solely on the pain points. And then they try to convince them of the problem. So like what I see is they'll say a lot of the same pain points that every other entrepreneur can say, right? They're like, oh, you've tried everything. It didn't work. You feel stuck. You feel like that is so broad, right? Someone, let's say a weight, a weight loss coach could say you tried everything and it didn't work, right? A marketing coach could say you tried everything. It didn't work. A sales coach, a freaking contract, anybody, right? Everyone can say that. And so you're, you're then calling all these people who have this very broad pain, and then you're trying to convince them of the problem that they have. And I think this is so backwards. Like it's so backwards. And that's the first thing I see, or I'll see it taken a step a little bit further or a little bit better is maybe they will start to market on the problem, but then they try to convince them that, that they're, solution is the solution, if that makes sense. Like they are targeting someone who's problem aware, but they're not targeting someone who's solution aware. And that again is also creating so much more work for you. And it's, it's, oh my gosh, it's, it's insane because then they'll bring in clients that are all over the spectrum. And then again, creating more work for you to, to even, you're not only creating more work to market your offer, you're creating more work to deliver your offer. It's insane. And just that one little shift of talking to someone who is already solution aware. And you guys, I will personally raise my hand and say that I did this for a very, very, very long time. I did it for a very long time. And how it kind of showed up for me was I would basically tell kind of tell everyone like, Oh, your problem is you're not attracting perfect fit leads. They're telling you you can't afford they can't afford it, blah, blah, blah. Like I, I, I would talk into the problem, right. And then I would kind of I'd start with the problem. And then I'd go into the pain of like, and that makes you feel like blah, blah, blah. And you think blah, 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 right. But then I would always try to convince them that they had a messaging problem. I would always be like, you think it's this, however, it's actually this. And not only did it create more work for me, because when they actually, like, let's say I did convince them that they had a messaging problem, it's exactly what I helped solve, right? They'll come to my offer, but then they still had all these thoughts of these other problems, right? Like they weren't fully, you know, well, they didn't fully believe it was just a messaging problem. They believed, and, and honestly, it wasn't just a messaging problem. They had all these other problems too, right? And so it was way more work for me. So I had to always throw in extra stuff and do more coaching and do all these things because I brought in someone like that. I basically was, again, targeting someone who was problem aware, but they had a lot of, a lot of other problems. And so when you target someone who's problem aware and solution aware, right? 
that is the gold. And so instead of trying to talk about, this is a messaging problem, this is a messaging problem. I just talked about how the messaging problem was showing up already and what it was costing them. It was like their cost of inaction and not fixing the messaging problem, but they already knew they had a messaging problem. Like that was the difference. I targeted someone who had a problem, right? They knew the problem was a messaging problem and they were aware that it was a messaging problem and that's what they needed to fix. They were already solution aware. They knew they needed someone to come in and look at all of their messaging and re like, I guess, restructure it so that they could articulate, right? A lot of things that my like perfect fit clients have said to me is, I already have a community. I, I don't have a problem helping people. I'm so confident in what I do. I just have a really hard time articulating my value in my content. I don't know how to articulate my offer in my messaging and in my content. So it was just kind of this block for them that again was causing them a lot of frustration and confusion because they're like, look, I know my offer is so amazing, but I just don't know how to explain it to people. And that is my, my gift. That's my superpower. Right. And so yeah, that's what I see a lot in the marketing place. And I, you guys, it, it's in, it's everywhere. I'm in a mastermind right now. And I literally, we had hot, we had a, a virtual retreat a couple of weeks ago and everyone had a two hour hot seat. And every single one of those people in my mastermind all had issues with messaging, articulating. How in the world do I articulate this? I know who I want to reach but I don't know how to actually speak to them, right? And I actually posted on Facebook a couple of days ago, a status that said a lot of the times people think they have an ideal client problem or that they're targeting the wrong person or that they can't find the right person. And a lot of the times I have realized it's not that. Like it, a lot of the times you're speaking to the right person, you just have the wrong message when you're speaking to them, right? You're not articulating your offer as well as you could to that right person. And that's, that's the thing, guys, you have to know how to do that because when they are problem aware and they're solution aware, they're no longer trying to find the answer. They're trying to find the person who is going to help them. It no longer comes on. This is what, this is the offer I need. It's the, who's going to be the person who, who is the expert at this for helping me, right? Like, let's say you're a copywriter. If you go and read any copywriter's content, it is all the darn freaking same. Think about it. They are all the same. They're all saying the same thing. It's, it's all the same, right? So if you're looking for a copywriter and you know that you need to hire a copywriter, like you, you know, like, okay, look, yes, I'm solution aware. I know I need to hire a copywriter. When they're going out there and doing all of their research, if you sound like everybody else, guess what? Your percentage of them choosing you is going to go way down, right? But if your messaging is so different and it's actually articulating why you're different and why you're the person that they need to hire to help you, that is a game changer. And that is the difference between marketing to someone who's just problem aware and marketing to someone who is, is problem aware as well as solution aware, because when they're solution aware, when they're solution aware, the only thing they're looking at is who is the expert to help me. 
And that is gold. Okay, I'm gonna see if there's any comments. Lisa said, articulation has been a huge problem for me. I see my perfect fit client everywhere. I actually think Facebook has picked up on who I'm engaging with and spending me more of my PCF, perfect fit client. But when I talk to them, half the time they haven't recognized themselves in my content. Yeah, and Lisa, that is nail on the head. That's exactly, exactly what it is I do. That's exactly like in a nutshell, that's exactly how I help my clients. But it's also, you know, targeting someone who is that solution aware, right? Like, you know that they're a good fit client, but they also have to know that they are a perfect fit client for you. That's the, oh, I'm, I'm gonna go down that rabbit hole for a second because a lot of the times you think they're a perfect fit client, but they don't think they're a perfect fit client for you. They don't know they're a perfect fit client for you. And a lot of people never talk about what makes their ideal client a perfect fit client, right? They never talk about the assets they already have. They never talk about the actions they've already taken. They never talk about the awareness that they already have. And so we're almost like approaching sales as in like, oh my God, I know they're a perfect client. I have to convince them that my offer is the right thing for them. No, 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 no. Like you are not supposed to, how am I supposed to say this? I don't even know how to actually say it. I sit here talking about articulation and I'm like, I don't even know how to articulate this. You are basically supposed to let them know that they are a perfect client, perfect fit client for you. And it's not by convincing them. It's by literally spelling out what makes them a perfect client for you. And this is also another huge thing that I see. This is why when I work with my clients, we go through offer ideal client and then messaging. And not only that, but we, we look at the clients based off of the ones that have already gotten the best results in their program and why. And yeah, Lisa, so the assets awareness, so that this is called my 4A method. This is something that I created. I don't see anyone else really breaking ideal client down this way. And I've done so many videos slash podcast episodes on this. I actually have one where I actually broke that down. So you can go back and listen to that. But I don't care about what what imaginary car they drive, what shows they watch. Like that is so dumb to me. That is, yeah, I don't even look at ICP that. I look at it as in, again, what assets do they have? And assets are like what they actually own. And I've used this example a lot about email marketing strategists. If you are an email marketing strategist and let's say you help people with sales, sales emails, an asset that they would have is let's say they already have an email list of 5,000. They already have an open rate of over 50%. They already have made at least, you know, $20,000 in sales through their email list, right? Like those are, that is the thing. And it's so, 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 so nuanced because a lot of what I see is, is like, I'll, I'll tell you every single one of my, I've not had a single client come to me where their ideal client is so crystal clear, razor sharp. It's either they have combined two different people or they've combined like two to three different people based off of what they like. And, it, and, and this is another thing too, when it comes to ideal client is a lot of people look at ideal client based off of their own perception and they don't have a random person who's not involved. And so I'll give you an example. I had a client one time, I had them say, who are the top four people who got results in your, in your um, offer? And she was like, well, these are the four people I got results, but I didn't really like their personality. And it was also funny too, because she said something like, yeah, they were all, I found they were like all Enneagram um, threes. And I was like, okay, you are approaching this from a biased perspective. We have to look back. Like 
I don't care that they were in Enneagram 3. I want to know what assets did they have that made them a perfect fit, right? What actions had they already taken in the past? What abilities did they already have? And what awareness did they already have? And so it's, it's so, I honestly say that's one of my favorite things is to look at the ideal client when it comes to our offer, because I'll go and read content and I'm like, they are talking to three to four different people. I can tell that they're going to be drawing in three to four different people. And then when you draw in three to four different people, guess what? You get them in the program and they're all at different levels. And I see this a lot with group coaching programs is they'll get them in. And then all of a sudden there's always like one or two people in the group that suck the freaking energy out of everybody else. And it, they always show up completely different than everyone else. And it's almost, they are then the people who are there who are doing really well, start to kind of resent the people who are there not doing really well. And it, and it just causes this whole environment and not even in a group, you individually, if you do one-on-one, that client starts to suck you, right? Like they start to suck your energy. And then you show up to the clients who are there, who are committed and really ready to take on. You show up to them with this like different energy because this other person's kind of sucking your energy. Oh my gosh, I could go on and on, but I digress. So I went on kind of a tangent there, but you guys know that that's what I love to do. So I'm going to actually just jump in to the second one. So here's another shift, a really big shift that I made. And it's something I've had to talk a lot about with my clients as well on all levels, guys, I've worked with six figure. I've worked with seven figure. I've worked with eight figure clients. It is all over, all over the board. And they all kind of deal with the same thing. They just show up in different ways, I guess, but it's all kind of the underlying root. And I'm going to start off by saying there used to be this, this phrase that I said all the time. And I see a lot of my clients saying it too. And it's not that it's a negative phrase, but It was almost like an indication to me that their brain was um, not going all in. And so the first shift that are the the second thing I'm going to talk about, I always used to say this. And again, it's not a bad thing, but I'll tell you where it was kind of rooted from. I used to say, let's just try it and see if it works. Let's just try it and see if it works. Now, that's not bad. It's not bad to try new things. It's so great to keep taking action moving forward. I'm so about that. But it was the let's see if it works. And I realized I would always say let's see if it works because I was always hesitant on going all in. I was always hesitant because I don't know if it's going to work 100%. So I don't want to go all in if I have some doubt in my mind that it's not going to work. And even the phrase see if it works. I had to stop. I had to stop and ask myself, well, what would determine if it works or not? And it's subjective, right? Like what I think works is going to be different than what everybody else thinks works. So it's subjective. And so I had this thought, well, what if I just believed everything worked? What if I just believed that it worked out the way that it was supposed to work out? Therefore, everything worked. And I'll tell you, when I had this thought, everything changed for me because I started to actually go all in. I think a lot of people don't actually go all in when it comes to selling, when it comes to marketing. They do kind of approach it with, let's just try it and see if it works. And when you're just approaching it that way, you're not going all in. And one of the things that I see when people don't go all in 
is they have a really huge fear of rejection or failure. And I'm actually going to tell you like what happened to me. (laughs) I'll tell you what happened to me. They don't go all in because they want to avoid failure or they want to avoid being rejected. And I remember one time talking to my coach, this was actually pretty funny. And I was telling her this was, you know, I think it was last year. And I was telling her, I was about to do a group coaching program. And I was like, I am so afraid that I'm not going to get the number of people that I want in this program. And I'm so afraid they're going to tell me no, and that the start date's going to happen. And I'm not going to have the six to eight people that I wanted in this program. And so for a while, I was kind of hesitating at, you know, taking action. And I, I was still taking action, but I was, I was hesitating on going all in. I was hesitating on like being like, this is all going to work. Like, this is all going to work out. I'm confident it's going to work out. And I remember talking to her and she was like, what is the worst case scenario that could happen? I said, I don't get, I don't get six people, at least six people in this program. And I don't run the offer. And she said, so basically exactly where you're at right now. And I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. And she was like, yeah, you, you don't have six people in your program right now. And, you know, and it was so, it was just this like aha moment to me of like, oh my gosh, I'm over here fearing that I'm not like, like the biggest thing, the worst thing that could happen is I don't get six people into this program And I was already there. I was literally in that scenario already. And I was using the excuse of not taking action because I was so afraid that was going to happen that, that it was, I had already created it for myself. It was just hilarious. And that's a big shift that I see now is that I have to, I encourage people to go all in. And what that means is there's no other choices. You eliminate all other choices, you make that one decision and you go all in on it. And with my clients, I make them do like, I I make them set priorities or set actions that basically will guarantee the result. So for example, let's say, you know, if, if my coach had asked me, what do you think you need to do to guarantee six people in your program? I would say, I need to post, I need to talk about it every single day. I need to go in my Facebook group. I need to go on Facebook and I need to talk about it every single day. She'd say, okay, um, double it. Talk about it twice a day. That's what I would tell my client, like talk about it twice a day. And it would be like this thing, like you have to go all in and then some. And you also in line with that, which I'll talk about too, is you also have to practice rejection. Now that sounds really silly and really dumb, but a lot of the reason why we don't take the action that we think is going to get us the result that we want is because we are afraid of rejection. We're afraid of someone telling us no multiple times, right? The first time it's like, ah, whatever. But if you're told no 10 times in a row, you start to get really discouraged, right? But I will have you think about this for a minute. You're not discouraged because 10 people told you no. You're discouraged because you have a thought about 10 people telling you no. But those 10 people's no's have no correlation to each other, really, at the end of the day. That would be me wanting, I don't know, a spatula, something totally random. But let's say I wanted a spatula and I go 
to all of my neighbors and I knocked on eight doors asking for a spatula and they said, no, I don't have a spatula. There is no lower chance of possibility that the ninth door would have a spatula. It means absolutely nothing. The, the first eight no's meant absolutely nothing about the ninth no or the 10th no. Like they, they have no correlation to each other, but we make it mean that they have correlation to each other. And so I honestly would just practice being rejected. Like that sounds really silly, but I would practice being rejected. And so I would put myself in situations where people would tell me no. And I'll actually tell you, this is really actually, it did, it worked out this way. It was really funny because I'll tell you when you put yourself in the place to practice getting no's, a lot of the times you will get a random yes that you were like, oh my God, I didn't even think that was possible. It was just funny because I, when I started to build the confidence to go out and get no's, I actually started to be confident in, in whether I showed up with getting a no or a yes. So I, that kind of leads me into the next shift that I want to talk about. But I just really want to hone in on that for just a few more minutes is that the only reason why rejection feels bad is because you make it feel bad. And you're making it mean something about you. It doesn't mean, and I actually just talked about this with a client the other, well, not a client, but a, a mastermind member the other day where she was saying, I just feel so bad that I keep, I'm getting no's for my, my offer and it makes me feel really bad. And I said, why does it make you feel really bad? She said, because it just makes me feel like all my hard work I'm doing is not paying off. And I said, well, why are you making that no mean something about you and not just something about your program? And she looked at me kind of confused and she's like, what do you mean? I said, you're making the no mean something personally about you versus it being a no about your offer. There are, those are two very, very different things. And so being told no is actually a really good thing because also out on the flip side, people are always like, oh, well, I can't go out and ask ask for the sale or do this because I don't feel confident. Well, you will feel confident if you get a lot of no's. It sounds counterintuitive, but when you get to the point where no's don't affect you, that is when you can show up the most confident person ever. When you can show up without me, without a no meaning anything about you, that is when you show up confident. And I'm going to go ahead and, and go into my third one, because this was also something that was really big for me. And it kind of ties in to this one. And that is approaching every single call, sale, encounter, whatever it is, whatever it is. Approaching all of that with the thought of it is not my job to get them to say yes. It is my job to get them to make a decision. Now, I want to tell you this, and you guys have heard me talk about this over and over and over again. We are literally trained from, from childhood up to not trust our decisions. Think about that for a minute. We are literally trained to not trust our decisions. Okay, how? How does this show up? First of all, let's talk about the school system, right? Like, again, no, I'm not knocking education by any means or teachers, but 
the way that we present material is you learn it, then you have to basically take a test and make a decision on what answer is the best. And then you get graded on it. And if you get a bad grade, then that means you're bad at whatever subject you chose the answers for those questions on. Does that make sense? So like we're literally being trained, we're being trained to seek validation, first of all. And then we're being trained that we have to make the right decisions. If we don't make the right decision, then we're going to get a bad grade. We're going to be, it's going to be wrong. It's the wrong answer. And that to me is just, oh, it's heartbreaking and it's sad, right? So we are literally being told that we don't trust ourselves making decisions, right? Then in the the entrepreneur world, let me just tell you, everyone prides on the fact that you're confused, that you're stuck, that you're overwhelmed, that you're all the pain points, all the emotions, right? Like everyone prides on that when they're trying to sell something. And what they're prying on is the fact that you've made wrong decisions to get you to the place that you're at, but now they have the right decision for you to buy. Think about that for a second, right? And to them, they're like, I just have to sell. I have to sell. I have to sell, right? Like I, I have to get them to say yes. I think you are doing someone a huge disservice. You're literally almost creating that same environment. You have to say yes to me right now, or you're, you're going to be a failure for the rest of your life. You're going to get everything else wrong. Like it, it's, oh God, it breaks my heart. It makes me sad. So I never, ever, 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 ever approach any sales conversation or any conversation with a friend or any, anything for that matter. Anytime someone comes to me and they're like, oh my God, I need some advice. I'll say, okay, that's fine. Maybe I know the answer they should choose, but it's not my decision to choose it. The only job I have is to make a decision. And whether that decision is no or yes does not matter. And that is what I think a lot, a lot, a lot of people do wrong. They're like, oh my God, I know what's best for them. I have to convince them to say yes, blah, 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 right? And I mean, I see so many people do this. And then they'll, and then if you, if you say no to yourself, it turns, or if you say no to them, then it turns into a gaslighting situation of like, you don't want it bad enough. You're not committed. I can't tell you how many times I heard that one. You're not committed. You just need to be more committed. Oh my God, I could scream, but it's, it's not that. You need to celebrate the fact that they make a decision, period, and stick with that decision. I don't ever let anyone who approaches me tell me, let me think about it. No, no. I'll say, I respect that you want to think about it. However, as a coach, I know how big it is to make decisions. And so I don't care if your decision is yes. I don't care if your decision is no. But to honor you as a person, let's just make a decision. And if the decision is no, I don't care. I'm still here for you. Let's celebrate the fact that you said no. Heck yeah. Hallelujah. You made a decision. You are not stuck in indecision anymore. You're not confused. You're not overwhelmed. You made a decision, own it, and then go and continue. And if I am a no, if you're a no to my services, oh my God, who cares? I don't care. I'm celebrating the fact that you said no. Is there maybe somebody else who can help you that I know? right? Maybe you are a better fit for them. That is totally fine, right? Totally fine. And again, I don't do this just in sales. I do this in, in every situation. Even if someone comes to me, I have a lot of business friends and like, 
whether they come to me for advice or maybe they just come to me because they're like venting about something. They're like, oh, I am like so frustrated about this. I'm going to say, okay, what are you going to do about it? And they'll be like, what? And they're like, no, I just want to vent. I'm like, okay, well then you make, let's, let's make a decision on what you want to think about this situation. Do you want to think that it's a waste of your time? Do you want to think that it's the reason why you're not getting clients or the reason why your whole day was bad? You get to decide. And that is our job as coaches, as strategists, as consultants. Our job is not to get them to say yes. Our job is just to get them to make a decision. And it does not matter what that decision is. The decision needs to be best for them and what they think and where they're at. I'll also go into another tangent that also on this same note really opened my eyes and changed for me. And this was a work, you guys, I don't ever share anything with you that I have not personally done myself. This is a reflection of all of the work I've done. And I've kind of, and I'll even say the past year, it was amplified because I just had a lot of things going on in my life this year and a lot of aha moments and a lot of like red flags that I had I'd seen in other people and in myself. And so I started to do a lot of this work myself. And one of the biggest things that I realized, which I guess I can, I can, it goes into kind of what I'm talking now. It is realizing that in every result you have, you're choosing that. And what I mean by that is you're choosing how you think about it. You chose the actions that got you there, right? Like, and that's not a bad thing at all. It's letting you see that you were kind of in control of where you're at and where you, where you can go. And so I, I almost kind of like always took this responsibility of like, I chose the thoughts that got me here. I chose to think the thoughts that got me here. I chose to think the actions that got me here, or I chose to do the actions that got me here. And what do I choose? What do I choose from here on out? What decision am I going to make from here on out? I just need to make a decision, right? And I can choose, I can choose what I want to think, what I want to do, how I want to feel. I can choose those things. For example, if I feel sad, instead of resisting that sadness, sometimes I just say, you know what? I'm going to choose to be sad at the moment. Oh my gosh, my cat. Because it's just going to feel really good for me to cry and get it out. And I'm going to choose to be sad. Instead of being like, why am I sad? Oh, I hate being sad. I just want to be happy. I don't ever resist it. I'm just going to say, I'm going to choose to be sad right now. And, and, and. I'll even tell you guys, like, this is going to sound kind of like deep and like woo woo. But when I started to realize that I have a choice in anything that I think and what I do, how I feel and all that or whatever, and have a choice to sit in that feeling or I have a choice to, to do whatever I wanted to do, I really started to trust myself more. And, and I have to say that was one of the biggest shifts that I've seen in, in, in myself is that I used to not really trust myself. And that stems from being told that all the decisions you've made in the past were wrong and being, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go down this rabbit hole for just a hot second because I had this realization yesterday or the, it was like two, three days ago. And it was so good. And I just have to share because I'm a Christian. If you're not, if you're listening, you're not a Christian, that's totally fine. Still love you. You are totally welcome here, but I'm going to talk about a Christian thing really quick. I had this aha moment the other day because I was actually looking over a friend's sales page for her and she was just asking me some questions about it. And there is a phrase that I hear all the time in the Christian world that I used to totally repeat and I used to say it all the time. And, and then I kind of had this aha moment a couple of days ago, of like, oh my gosh. So we always hear the phrase, 
you know you were made for more. You know you were made for more. And again, I used to love that phrase. It gave me like, I used to be like, yes, I know I'm made for more, right? But then most people here, I know I'm made for more. And instead of feeling empowered, they almost feel shameful and guilty. And one of the biggest things that I see, especially in the Christian community, because I actually, my, my whole career started in the Christian community. I used to actually go to Christian women conferences and speak about Christianity and business. And um, I realized that almost every single Christian has this undying fear that they're not enough or that they're not living their purpose or they don't know what purpose their purpose is for their life or they don't know what their calling is. And I had this aha moment because what is happening is we're like two different things are being, are happening in the Christian world language community, right? It's the, you know, you were made for more. And then they think I'm not good enough. So then they think, but, 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 but like that's insinuating that they're not good enough. Like it's, it's, it's saying like, I know you were made for more, but it's insinuating. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, you're not there yet. You still have to do to get there because you haven't made it yet. Right. And then it's like, see, I told you I wasn't good enough. And then, it, then on the flip side, they're like, you are enough. They're always out there saying you are enough. You are worthy. God made you put out like, but then you're out there telling them they were made for more. Like what the world? <laughs> it's like this like loop of like, oh my gosh, you are literally just confusing all of them and making them feel every action they take is wrong and decisions. I, I mean, I could go on and on about it. And I think this is why like even religion, Christianity as a religion gets a bad rep because there are a lot of people who are out there saying you were made for more, but you're currently not good enough where you're at right now. You're currently not good enough. But then on the flip side, if you become a Christian, now all of a sudden you remain new and you are good enough. Oh my gosh. It's, it's just this, it was just this moment the other day, which makes me incredibly sad. Okay. I'm done on that rant, but it was just this, this aha moment the other day where I was like, what? Oh, so yeah, I don't even know what I was talking about before that. I just kind of had a, <laughs> I was like, I gotta go on this. I gotta go on this tangent for a second. But yeah, it was just an aha moment. So, all right, let me read a few more of the comments. Um, that's the thought that comes up when you say you were made for more. I'm not good enough because I'm not doing all that I was made for. Yeah, 100%, right? And I also hate the phrase you were made for more because what what is more? Like, what in, how do you know when you've reached more? How do you know when you've reached more? What is the what is the quantifiable measurement of more? Right? Like when is it enough? Really? Not only are you not enough, but when is it enough? When have you reached the more status? Oh, I could go on and on. Okay. That's it, guys. Those are the three things. I don't even know if I can summarize them because again, I did go on a few tangents, which I love to do. So if there are any other questions, let me know. Or if this was helpful, let me know. Again, um, thank you so much for showing up live. If you showed up live, I love like having someone to talk to. And yeah, so uh, thank you again. If you're listening to this on the podcast episode, thank you for tuning in. And yeah, I hope that you all have the most, the most amazing rest of your day. And we will catch you next week on the No Partner Roundup. Bye. 
our friend. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the No Partner Round Show. I hope you had as much fun as I did. And I would love, love for you to join us on the next podcast recording. You can go to www.ashamayfernandez.com slash podcast to see our interview schedule and the link to join us live to get your questions answered, get some personalized feedback and one-on-one hot seat coaching from not only me, but the amazing guests that I bring on the show. So I hope to catch you in the next episode. And until then, I will smell you later.